What's up, everybody? This is going to be episode 42 of An Untold Narrative. I'm super excited uh, for this episode. Uh, we feature somebody who I've actually never video chatted with or haven't met true, in person true, yet. Yeah, true, uh, true. Miles O'Mealy, um, who is currently in the UK. Uh, thanks for joining us, man. Thanks for having me on. Like, yeah, super excited to have this chat, man. And like you said, yeah, we've never actually officially met in person or even had a video call, but we shared shared quite a few uh, WhatsApp messages and uh, emails and stuff. Actually, that's a good point. I didn't even didn't even realize that until you said it. But yeah, isn't totally it amazing cool. how the like you can do this with an internet and you can have this friendship and relationship with somebody that you've never met, and then as soon as we hopped on video, it's like we actually met before. <laughs> yeah, it just felt really like normal. Like it was just yeah, totally true. It just didn't feel weird at all. It's just totally yeah. Yeah, we just felt, it felt really normal, really natural. Just uh, talking shit about Djokovic's game before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's um? What is your when you're sitting on an airplane or? you know, on a train or whatever, like what's your 30 second elevator pitch about yourself and, and what you do? As of today, 30 second elevator pitch. Uh, I mean, I have to, I'd have to begin with the company that, that I run now. So, but yeah, so I'd have to begin with the company that I run. So I'm the founder of um, a footwear design engineering studio called Arete. And Arete basically is a studio that we take care of everything in the footwear creation process from A to Z, A to Z, um, from the brief right through to the production. Um, and me as the founder of this, I'm, I'm the, I have a background in design engineering. So yeah, that would be like, uh, and we work with brands in the fashion industry. We help manage and create their footwear programs. Super cool. Yeah, we're gonna get into, uh, how do you say it again? Uh, Arete. 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 I was, I was totally going to butcher that as well. What I like about that one is that uh, so much about like my character and, and what we do is kind of like low key and a little vague. And what, what I also like about the Arete name is most people don't know how to say it, you know, like they forget it, like quite like that as well, that it's not, it's not an easy name to say or, or repeat. They, but they know how to spell it. I think they know how to spell it. Sure, like you can no, type yeah. it into the into the internet and you can find. But yeah, to say it, to speak it, I kind of like the fact that it's kind of difficult to <laughs> repeat. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we'll we're gonna we're, we'll deep dive into your actual company. Mm -hmm. But um, where were you? Where were you born, raised? Kind of what's your what's your you know family background? Kind of how did you you know design engineering even as a as a subject matter is very specific and niche so yeah you know how do you where where do you what's your background kind of where you grew up and stuff like that so i mean i'm currently now at my parents house this is this is where i was born in a uh, birmingham in england and now my parents live in redditch which is like a town south of uh, birmingham um and uh, this is where like uh, birmingham is where uh, yeah, i spent spent all of my first years of my life really um i have a jamaican father and an english mother um my father was a very was a very good uh, um, uh, runner when he was when he was younger when he was younger than me i'm 31 now so when he was like late teens mid-teens late teens early 20s he was a very good runner he ran olympic trials he had scholarship to america he was oh, eight, eight, 800 meters he was he was he was very very good very very good um and then my mom uh for the last 10 years or so has been a head teacher so i guess you can say like with that background there's a lot of like uh, 
discipline and like focus you know that's kind of been like put into myself and my sister from a young age um and then on top of that as well like we touched on earlier like i actually played the tennis for for like i said like 15 plus years of my life was dedicated to this sport and i guess through my dad having that application to sport as well um yeah i just yeah literally i played like i train every day three four five hours my training center was like an hour away from where i live so i take the train one hour every day there and one hour back you know from the age of 10 to like 18 19 was your goal to like play professional or something yeah my goal 100% was to be a pro you know 100% yeah you you must be pretty decent yeah I mean I was I was like (laughs) as a junior I was internationally ranked uh you know like my top ranking in the UK got to like top got to around 25 in the country at like 16 at like 16 17 like I was yeah I was I was I was not bad you know oh shit but then like the transition for me where I stumbled was from juniors to men's to adults game. It's a completely different game. And, you know, and I was like, I was quite small for my age and I've never been like a big guy, you know, it's quite small for my age. So I didn't really have the power or, or the strength to really like take, take that step up. So I, I struggled when I went from juniors to, to seniors, I played like half a year, a year on the men's tour and was just like, yeah, this is, this is not for me. So, um, so yes, how do you go go from devoting your life uh, to something like tennis, thinking that you have a shot? I mean, being top 25 in an entire country is pretty crazy, by the way. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But like, how do you go from making the decision like, okay, this, this can't be my path because I'm just clearly not made for it to how do you transition to something new? And what was that something new? I mean, the other side, I mean, when I was going th- through school and stuff, I always had like t- two sides to me. One was obviously the focus on the sport and that application and that enjoyment and passion I had for the sport. But also the second side was just the interest in in like creating. I remember one of the well, the classes I was most interested in at school was uh, obviously PE, but I didn't really count because I was doing it every day anyway. Um, and then I was really interested in like the um, like the woodwork classes that we did and the graph and and the uh, graphic classes as well. Like I really remember a very clear vision and like really in being taught how to do like 2D sketches of objects so you'd have like the multiple views the yeah. you know vibram how a 2d blueprint looks with the lateral view the medial view front back da, da, da. i remember being taught how to sketch these at like 15 maybe even a bit younger 14 15 i remember like really enjoying that like nerding out over that like a, like a front view back view side view top view yeah just the really classics just yeah. multiple views and being taught how to draw them out and like so that they make sense to each other that they're in line you know start on the front view you draw across you draw up and down for the front and the backs you know so um yeah just i remember that like vividly and really enjoying that and i remember like I, yeah i really enjoyed that at school so but i didn't pursue it at that age because i was still obviously pursuing the sport so it was really when I stopped playing tennis at like 19 19 yeah 19 I, I was when I because I like I said I went from junior to seniors at 18 is the year you have to transition and I tried for six months to a year so it was 19 when I was like okay 
this ain't for me now anymore, unfortunately. So that was when I, I was like, okay, I reverted back to like what interests me at school. So uh, I started to look into, into what university degrees were out there that kind of sat in the middle of sport and this engineering, design, construction kind of, kind of world. Um, obviously at that time as well, I really wanted to stay in sport in some way. So the idea was if I can't, if I can't perform at this level myself, then let me be the creator of the equipment that the athletes use to perform at that level, you know, because I understand what is needed because that was me as well. 100%. So that was kind of my original goal. My original idea was to then move into that, you know, like, let me be the creator of the, of the equipment of the, pro of the, of the product for these athletes. So I looked at a course I found was sports technology, which was, at the end, it didn't turn out to be what I thought it was, but it gave me the foundation still, you know, it gave me, gave me, it started me on the journey anyway. So, but it was really when like I did my master's in design engineering at Loughborough Uni, that was when it got really, really focused. And I was able to really get into like, really nerd out on all the engineering side of like, of making product, you know? And that was when it really like went, went up, went up, uh, up a few gears. So what I, what I love about that is like you, you put the terms design and engineering together, right? Yeah. Like as one uniform subject matter where yeah. it's, it's pretty rare from my perspective, like you have design and you have development and then yeah. like there's usually a wall in between. Right. And you that, seem to merge the two. Worlds. That's where I, that's literally where I sit because I'm not an out and out engineer. I'm also not an out and out d d designer. Like if you give me a blank, piece of paper and say sketch something beautiful completely out of your mind I'm going to struggle a little bit to be honest you know I could have some ideas but it's not going to be super beautiful you know I could, I could put something down but that's not where my strength is and then like on the flip side if you put me 100% in the engineering environment I can do it but again it's not where I like I'm really comfortable and where I really want to be if you give me an or if you provide me give me a sketch of something already an idea of something I can then take that and I can redesign it I can re-engineer it and like create something from that that is more functional uh maybe even more beautiful technically more advanced etc etc that's kind of where I sit strongest if you already provide me with something like a can be a really rough flat drawing a really rough flat idea of something then then that's when my creativity will kick in you know so you're just, you're elevating the idea yeah essentially it will really kick in because I'll I'll combine the creative side of it like their design with also some creative ideas of my own off the back of their original idea but then with the engineering like functionality the engineering know-how so i'll put those two together and then i'll just elevate it and move it forward um that's where I, that's where i'm strongest so i really do sit like in this very unique niche kind of weird space yeah. in, between, in between these two worlds yeah. it's it's 100 a little unorthodox in footwear but i i think that's probably why you've had some success uh, thus far, right? And so you said you have you got your master's degree in design engineering. What yeah. year was that? What year? Yeah, yeah. Two I graduated two thousand and thirteen. Okay, so, so some time ago now, eight eight years ago. When once you once you get your master's degree, what happens after, right? Like, how do you did you know you wanted to do footwear or no? 
No, no, that's the crazy <laughs> thing. No, I didn't study anything on footwear, man. Didn't do one, one class, one module. I liked footwear as a fan, of course. Like when sure. I played tennis, when I played football, soccer, like I, it was important to me to have nice, nice tennis shoes, nice football boots. <laughs> always interested in like the design and the construction of, I always wanted to have interesting, interesting footwear. And like also then on the... You know, like I remember having a pair of Adidas run DMCs, you know, superstars that I loved. And the TNs, when they came out, I freaked out, you know. So I was always, like, interested, but I never thought, like, oh, I want to make this, you know. I think I was more interested in, like, um, hard goods. So, like, my master's project I did was on shin pads in football. So I, look, I wanted to look into how you could make protective equipment more conform to your own particular shape and body, right? So that's when I looked very early days of 3D printing and 3D uh, design. I looked into that basically software and I found this phone app and I scanned my friend's leg with the phone app and exported that image to SolidWorks and then designed a, a shin guard that fitted exactly the, the shape of his leg and then printed that out and then like did a whole series of like physical tests, dynamic tests on it and all this kind of different stuff, you know. Um, and I pitched that to Umbro, and that was a whole a whole cycle. Of really? Different. Yeah, I, Umbro oh, were really yeah. interested at the time. You know, Umbro were really interested by by the process of it, but it wasn't it wasn't uh, marketable because three D printing back then was mad. Oh no, 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 totally. You were ahead of the game. Each shin guard, I only made half a pair. I made three designs, half half a half a leg each, so I could then put a regular shin guard on my friend's left leg. And then we could do all the tests, the performance yep. tests in that way. Um, but one shin guard, not a pair, one was like a hundred pounds at the time, you know? Oh, so a pair would be 200 plus then all the work to do it. Like, and then a markup for profit. It's like five minutes. It's just, no, 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 it's not going to happen. Make sense, yeah. It didn't make any sense. But it's but a cool was, exploratory. Pardon? It's a cool exploratory. Like basically that's what, that's what it was. I was just trying to like see how you could, you know, what, what tools there were to make protective equipment. So I did shin guards, but it could be the same for the equestrian world. It could be the same for um, motorcycling, motocross, all these different sports where oh. protective equipment was required. How could you make it fit better? And that's all it was. So at that time, I was really more interested in hard, in hard goods, um, even to the point where there was this, I was hit up through LinkedIn, like back then, this woman had her own quite a big equestrian brand where she was making like all the all the leg protectors for horses and stuff and she saw that customized project and was interested if I could like take that principle into the world of uh, equestrian um but yeah I didn't I mean I was in I spoke to her about it but so at that time I was really just hard goods sports equipment you know maybe even tennis rackets some something more something like this you know so footwear wasn't on my radar at all so what was your what was your first tangible job that you got after your master <laughs> that, that was nike that was where it all began it was crazy oh okay yeah. you jumped so right my, into it yeah my first job I, I i applied for the footwear developer role that i did in in amsterdam for the first two years i applied for that just before i finished my master's and i did three interview rounds and you know, a long story short, I got the job and it was like incredibly just so lucky. You know, I was just right place, right time. There was a line manager, Fabio, who um, 
he was looking like the job I got was there on the description. It said three plus years of experience in the industry. And I wasn't going to apply because of that. And I had a lecturer at Loughborough who told me just, just apply, man. Like what have you got to lose? So I applied anyway, but Fabio, the line manager, he was specifically looking for someone who had no experience, the right education, and just wanted to give them the opportunity young to like mold them and, you know, just give them the opportunity. So I got really lucky because they were looking for that. They weren't looking for someone with experience. So, um, yeah, I got super lucky. Doesn't that, doesn't that speak volumes? Cause so many, so many, uh, like college students or whatever, they'll, they'll send me a message and they'll be like, Oh, I don't know if I should apply to this. And like, it's so true though. Right? Like, if you don't apply, regardless of the experience, you're never going to know the answer. You're never going to know. And you don't know what the line manager is looking for. The line manager, of course, they're going to have to put on their three years plus experience. They can't put on their looking for zero. You'll get millions of, uh, of uh, applications, you know, so they have to put on there. But Fabio was because Fabio also started at Nike at 21 in Italy in where they have the football team in Monte Belluna. Yep. So he he wanted to give what he was given to someone else. This was his first, because he was a young manager. He was 33 at that time. So he was super young. He wanted to give what was given to him to someone else. In his first opportunity of hiring, that's he amazing. wanted to use that to get, you know, to give an opportunity to someone else. And that's what he did. And and yeah, so that's what I mean. I was right place, right time, did my three interviews. And uh, yeah, I got I got the job. And then that was... My first time on footwear was day one at Nike. <laughs> and so just, just for context, for, for uh, obviously a lot of the listeners of this podcast are from the States, but um, yeah. Nike does have a quote-unquote headquarters in Amsterdam. I yeah. didn't there was a, a footwear division. I thought it was more sales and marketing, but maybe no, talk about the office a little bit in terms of like what your team was and things like sure. that. So there's, it's in a town called Hilversum, which is just like half an hour outside of Amsterdam. But most people live in Amsterdam, of course. And there you have, um, yeah, it's the European headquarters. So it's the headquarters for the whole of Europe. And yeah, you have a lot of marketing, a lot of merchandising, a lot of sales, a lot of energy. So you have, of course, you have like sub teams based in all the key cities, Paris and Berlin and Milan and stuff, where a lot of energy and marketing is also uh, driven. But those teams then uh, revert back to the European, head, European headquarters where you have the VPs. And then they obviously then re report back to the water headquarters in Portland. Um, so, yeah, it's a big, it's, it was a big, it's a big office. I guess now it must be almost 2,000 employees there. Because when I was there, it was like 1,600, And that was, you know, like I said, 2014, 15, 16. So now... And there must be almost two, 2,000 employees there, I guess. Um, and then my specific team was called, at the time, was called Western Europe Product Creation. So we did no, no new models. All the new models were still done in Portland. So we, we were given existing silhouettes, existing styles that had a high degree of relevancy in Western Europe. And we just would make, basically make them more relevant for Western Europe through colors and graphics and material treatments. And we'd work on like collaborations with store, like stores like Size and Foot Locker. Sure. We do like special packs for key cities like London or Berlin, you know? Um, so we just knew obviously being European, we knew the European consumer better and we just made 
no new styles, but we would recreate on existing bestsellers. Um, you know, different touches and colors, materials, graphics, etc. That would be that would be more applicable for the European consumer. And that's what I did for the first two years. I was a developer in that in that team. So. Talk about your experience at, I think, uh, based on some research, you were there for five years. And yeah, yeah. The majority of it, it sounds like you were overseas, actually, not, yeah, not, yeah. not in Amsterdam. So talk yeah. about why, that, one, why that opportunity presented itself, and then two, why did you take it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, again, like, I, I, throughout my career, I've been quite fortunate with being in the right place at the right time, I guess. And then, like, I'm a big believer in, Anyone, anyone who's successful, before I answer the question, anyone who's successful has luck, has a different degrees of luck. It's impossible to be successful and not have luck, you know, but you make your own luck. I believe that 100% you make your own luck through, you know, through hard work and wittiness and just, you know, just being, being smart and savvy and pushing. And, you know, there's many ways that you can do that, but you really make your own luck as well. But yeah, so towards the end of my two years in, the Western Europe product creation team, Nike were going through a huge reorganization. Like I'm sure you know, they always like every five, six years, these big corporate firms, they go through these crazy reorgs, they get rid of departments, they fire a lot of people. Like everyone is hella stressed during, <laughs> during this period. It's crazy. I think it's more frequent today. I think it's, it's more I think because of COVID, they, they <laughs> definitely, they've increased the, the rate of these, definitely. I mean, I was only there for five years and I went through two of them. And then shortly after I left, COVID hit, they had another one. So, yeah, I mean, definitely. But they went through this crazy big reorg and they basically just re... It was at a time where Adidas were killing Nike. It was really like a bit of a panic time within the brand. So they, they, they changed how the product creation teams were set up. So they basically uh, cancelled all the regional product creation centres, which I thought was a crazy, stupid decision. But anyway they closed all the regional product creation centers and moved everything back to Portland, um, which obviously meant my team, we had nowhere to work, you know? Sure. Um, and they, I couldn't move to Portland because I'd been, only been there for two years. So the visa process for me for America would have been, would have been a headache. Um, and obviously they didn't want to let me go. So they offered me the opportunity to move to Asia. First it was China. And then after then that job didn't come through and they offered me another one to Vietnam. So I was very lucky because again, I was the first, the first from Europe ever to make that move. Wow. And I was the first of my, at that time I was a developer one. I was the first within Nike. You have to be a developer two to get a, a Asia expat contract that move. You have to be a developer two. So I was also the first developer one to ever get moved to within the whole brand, which was crazy. Um, Let me push that thought a little bit. What do you think was the, the reason? Was, was your work just so dialed or was it like uh, right time? I think, like, again, I had amazing managers. Both, yeah. I had my immediate manager and then the manager of the whole Western Europe product creation team, Fra, they both were just like so into me. You know, they were both just really like, really wanted to help me you know they were really good people and within nike it's such a hierarchical company and culture that your manager can make or break your career it's kind of it's kind of fucked you know but 
if you have a good line manager and you have the good right attitude and you're passionate, you're aspirational, all these different things, and you're talented, you know, you, you have a chance, a good chance of moving up through the company. So I had two really good managers that were pushing hard for me. I had this kind of perfect storm where Nike didn't really have anywhere to put me and or they would let me go, which I don't think my, my line managers obviously would report to whoever at that time was making decisions about who would be let go, who would be moved. They were probably saying, look, this guy, you sh can't, can't let go. We need to find somewhere for him. So I was probably fortunate. I don't know those conversations, but probably something like that was being said. So yeah, I was just really fortunate in that sense. And then for me, like being, having this really geeky, nerdy, technical engineering, always been wanting to find interest in how things are made. Like the opportunity to work for Nike in the factories was like, 100% let's go man like also Asia what what a what a exploration that would be I've always traveled a lot through my tennis and I've always been interested in different cultures I've also always been someone that's like wanting to push themselves not stay in your comfort zone and just just go man just give things a shot and it's always been in my nature to be quite risk-taking yeah, but that's your mindset's on another level. Your average human is not taking that chance going to yeah, you know, yeah. going to Asia of all places for a lot of people. Scary. Yeah, I mean, I moved. I moved at twenty six, so I was quite young, you know, twenty six by myself as well. And it was yeah, <laughs> it was like it was crazy. How yeah. you were there for three years in, yeah. in Asia, right? So yeah. what 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 do you think was was the the highlight and what what was like the hardest part? The hardest part was the homesickness. I'm yeah. not gonna lie, like that was that was hard. Even the first year was so hard, and then but it never went away. All the three years, I had I had moments, you know, like just crazy amount of FOMO, like missing out on so many events. Social media is the worst thing yeah. to have in that period. Like <laughs> just watching all my friends just party and go to this event and that event and just ah oh, man, it was. And that's that like. Was, that's like that's like 2016, 17, 18. Like yeah. that's like, like the the social media is booming. <laughs> Honestly, it was crazy, and also me myself, like my mid mid twenties, just like having so much fun in Amsterdam, oh. so much fun in Europe. I was just like enjoying that my my the Nike life in Europe, enjoying Amsterdam so much. The friends that I have there, the Daily Paper guys, filling pieces, Olaf, T and O, like we had such a good good crew of people and we're just just having fun man just so you know I, I i cried on the flight to vietnam man when i left amsterdam i physically cried i couldn't stop crying so it was like it was like really really yeah really hard on the homesickness but the the there was a lot of highs as well man like i traveled asia traveled so much i traveled the whole of asia the side i lived in ho chi minh but mm -hmm. um you know singapore uh shanghai manila seoul tokyo kyoto osaka uh B B bali jakarta i went i went everywhere i just traveled so much while i was there i met so many amazing people i made so many amazing friends um i grew so much i i developed so much career-wise like working for three years in the factories i saw the entire process yeah. the entire process the supply chain the materials the finance the business that's where i learned the business side of things um the how all the mechanics work the the factories how the production lines are run technically all the machines the applications that you can use i worked across 
all the categories, core performance running. I did three shoes for off-white. I did football boots, American baseball cleats, American football boots. I did just so, so much in three years. So like my, my growth just exploded, you know, but at the same time, there was days where I, I wanted to leave. I just wanted just to go back, you know, after like a year, then again, a year and a half. Then again, at two years, so many moments where I was like, I'm leaving, I'm done. Miles, when you were just talking about that, man, I chills run up my entire fucking time, <laughs> dude. Like that's what, this is like what people don't understand is like, you got to take a chance. Like, I'm assuming today you're super stoked that you had that opportunity. You wouldn't trade. Honestly, zero regrets. And I'm also so happy that it was that I went through those hard times, you know, because it really built me. And I'm so, and I'm so proud of myself that like I stuck at it, you know, but at the same time, it wasn't, you know, like Nike took care of me too. I can't be like, it was, I can't be like this hardship kind of like, thing you know because I had a really good accommodation that was paid for I had I had a driver and you know obviously a good salary for where I was and all these kind of different things so I had there was a lot of positives but just of course yeah I mean if you just on the surface of that 26 27 year old you know there was also a lot of the things that I just was missing out on you know but I kept looking at the bigger picture of everything and the long-term goals and what I was really in this for was way bigger than partying at Paris Fashion Week for this one week. Paris Fashion Week is always going to be there, you know? So I just kept reminding myself of that, like the bigger picture whenever I was like feeling down and feeling like homesick or something. And um, it paid off. And also just, again, I was so passionate about the geeky stuff. I really enjoyed, genuinely enjoyed being in the factories. You know, it was kind of weird, but I genuinely enjoyed being in the factories. So as soon as I went to work, I was like, I was like, all right, cool. So I'm assuming your your days flew by like working because it wasn't even like where you were just enjoying it. And then the the nights and kind of the loneliness is kind of what the challenging parts were. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. The weekends, yeah, like the weekends that I weren't traveling were hard, but I traveled like once every three, four weeks. I was I was out somewhere new. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was somewhere new. Like Hong Kong was two hours, Bangkok was two hours. And I quickly developed a good network of friends throughout Asia. So I would just basically just hop on a plane and link up with them for the weekend and have some fun and then come back and work again. So that was kind of how it was. And I did, I did build like a nice little network, a nice little crew in Saigon as well, you know, so that, that also helped when I was there, when I stayed in Ho Chi Minh for the weekends and stuff. I had like one, one good friend in particular that, that Bull is his name. He, He's been very, was very instrumental to my time in drawing Saigon, but also the inspiration that and experience he gave me afterwards too. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to pivot really quick. It just, yeah. this is, I'm observing as you speak, yeah. where do you develop your humbleness? Because you, you, you gave all the props in the world to your, your manager, your line manager at Nike. You just yeah. talked and said very nice things about Nike and accommodating you while you were by yourself. And then you just gave your another friend a shout out of yeah. like helping you on your journey. Like most people don't talk about other people who help them out. Yeah. Why, why do you think that is about you? Like, cause I agree with you, right? Like all ships have to rise, right? Like if you're yeah. elevating everybody around you, everybody goes up. But it's yeah, like this world is so cutthroat and negative where people are always like me, 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 I, I, I. 
and you take this different approach of always talking about other people. And we've only been talking for 30 minutes and you've already talked about so many different people who have helped you. I mean, I guess, I guess also from my parents too, like my sister's also the same. My sister, my sister is a, very talented and she's a killer she's she's doing, <laughs> she's doing amazing things and she's the same she's super humble and grounded i think that's from our parents too like my dad's always said this to my mom as well like you stay grounded don't get ahead of yourself you know like you know really 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 you know yeah just don't don't let your ego get ahead of you and also like just re- reading a lot of books like ego ego does no good for you man like it gets you nowhere it gets you literally nowhere you make the worst decisions because your ego is is getting the best of you so i know and I've, i i learned i learned that i also like you know made some made some wrong decisions al- along the way because like a little bit of pride or ego and and then you then you and then you catch yourself and you're like yo get yourself back in check man that's not the right way to be so um and then for me as well, it's like no one achieves anything by themselves, man. You have you 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 should be a sponge, right? And like you're absorbing so much from so many different people, so many levels of inspiration and new knowledge and experiences. I mean, it's it's really like um, yeah, you don't. There's no there's no like one 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 individual person that's just gone through and everything's been done by them. It's crazy. It's, for me, it's crazy, and I'm just it's, for me, it's really important to acknowledge those that have had, have had a positive impact on your life, and who have who have been there for you at difficult times, and who have helped you and inspired you, giving you knowledge and stuff. It's really important to acknowledge those people, man. Like I don't understand why you wouldn't. Yeah, you'd be surprised. So a lot yeah. of people don't. <laughs> yeah, I just that to me is just such a strange, just strange thing, like how how do you not acknowledge and also then just like by doing so as well it's all about raising raising a community like raising a level like really really like yeah I really want to as I grow within my career I really want to help bring people along on that journey like I have I have a team now you know and we have like four people in my team now and it's the same thing I really want to help help everyone around me just to just to grow, man, and give them shout outs and stuff. Speaking of community, right? When you were, you know, let's just say in the last year while you were in Asia, as you build this network where you can hop on a plane and go visit anybody, anywhere, yeah. right? Did you, when was the first uh, time that you knew you wanted to start your own business? Was it a year, yearly process or like, there was it like an instant thing of like, I'm just going to do this and give it a shot or like, cause you I, need that, you need the, the network to do something like yeah, that. Yeah, sure. Sure. hundred percent. When I, did you know? I, I think it was like towards the end of my time in Amsterdam, I kind of got this feeling that, you know, I don't know how long I'm going to be at Nike. At some point I would like to do my own thing. I don't know what that would be. And it was because like, as I mentioned before, like my friends at Daily Paper, my friends at Filling Pieces, Olaf Hussein, the new originals, like Amsterdam is such a small city, but you have a lot of creativity. It's crazy. And just seeing these guys, man, just my age from my ethnic background, just like, you know, just really just doing their thing, man. And um, that was incredibly inspiring to see. And they were all doing so well, man. It's just like really, really inspiring to see. Um, so that definitely had a huge, just sowed a seed in the back of my mind that over, which over the years in Vietnam, it grew, it grew. And it grew because 
of my exposure in Vietnam to just the business side of, of footwear, you know? So, and also just knowing who I am as a person, like, yes, I really have this engineering and geeky, nerdy, like quite technical side to me, but I'm also really interested in design and marketing. And I'm also a consumer. I'm a fan. I like going to the events and then partying and having some fun on this side, you know, like I'm a little bit of everything in that sense. Um, and Nike is so big that once you become like me, quite niche and quite technical, then you're, that's who you that's are. That's your box. That's your box, you know? And if you want to switch out of that, then you have to maybe go to, if you want to like enjoy the fun, the, the party and the energy side, then maybe you got to switch to the energy team or the PLM team. And it's like, well, no, I did. Um, I've, got, I've got a master's in engineering design. Like I don't want to turn my back completely on. I enjoy that stuff too. I just want to have a position where I can, you know, just play these multiple roles and, and be more fulfilled as a, as an individual, as a human, be more fulfilled because I'm, I'm, um, I'm doing the things that really I'm passionate about. And I really enjoy because I really felt like towards the end of my time at Nike, I was using a very little part of my talent, of my ability, of my overall energy. It became quite easy for me. And I really felt like I wasn't maximizing what I'm capable of. Right. So the final year, the whole of 2018, I basically spent trying to find a position for myself in Nike. The middle of 2017, I had a trip to Portland to go to the WHQ and it started then. I was meeting VPs and stuff, trying to find a, trying to find a, a spot. And then 2018, the whole of that year, continued trying to find a spot. And it came like, my contract was due to end December 2018, right? And I still hadn't made a decision by September, October. So <laughs> I felt like quite a bit of pressure from my management and stuff about what, what was I doing? People were losing a little bit of patience with me because I wasn't accepting any of the suggestions that they were providing me. Um, they, they offered me one job in South Korea in the innovation department, which I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to do that. So I applied for that, got down to the last three. And in the end, they went the traditional route, hired someone from Portland who's probably been at Nike for a lot longer than me, you know, which is cool. But I mean, whatever, you know, so and then at that point, that's when I realized, like, I'm going to get out of here because this is just not for me anymore, you know. So that's when I really stopped like looking for positions within that was around July 2018 that that okay. South Korea job came got down to last three then I went with the traditional route and then I, that's when I was like okay so I stopped I stopped looking um and in October they offered me a promotion with a pay rise on the condition that I stayed for another six months in Vietnam and that was when I said like and you in that meeting in that meeting I said look I can't accept this because I'm gonna leave now like this, this, you just, this is a proof to me that you really don't understand what I'm asking for, what I'm trying to achieve out of life. It's not even about the job anymore. It's about what I'm trying to achieve for myself in my life to be more fulfilled as a person. You know, it's not about money. It's not about a job title or a position within Nike. It's about fulfillment as a human, fulfillment as a creative. So um, I, yeah, I turned down the pay rise on the spot and just like then the wheels began in motion about how I would leave. Um, and then because I basically just 
didn't accept a new contract. I just rolled my current contract out. Nike, again, they're an amazing brand. They really helped me then move back and did all the stuff for me. So, you know, I give thanks for that. And then, yeah, 2019 is when I began by myself. So once that contract ended, end of 2018, every, you moved back, but pretty much your employment ended. I mean, my employment ended as soon as I turned down. The- <laughs> <laughs> okay, so no, no listeners, as soon as you just turn away a contract, you're That's how Nike works, man. That's how Nike works. They're, they're your best friend. And then as soon as you don't want to be with them no more, it's like, all right, cool. <laughs> I, I thought there was like a slight chance of like oh you could continue doing what you're currently no that's doing. what i that's what i thought i was like yo <laughs> i still want to work for you guys for the next two months you know one of those factories and stuff i still want to work and they were like look you you know the 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 message from hq is they don't want you going to the factories no more because you're leaving so and i was at that time i was working on a cool project man i just started working on a innovation project for an american football boot to be released in 2022 oh sheesh so and that was like four years ahead so i was yeah. really getting into this cool project that was really like inspiring me i was really enjoying i just finished making the first prototype the first sample uh so i was a little bit pissed about that because i really wanted to get a couple <laughs> more months working on that to be honest that was really a shame uh, that was a really crazy boot as well. So, so Paco, what, what happens then, right? You get back to Amsterdam or you get back to London? And- no, I moved back to Amsterdam. So I stayed for one more month in Vietnam while I was just wrapping everything up. And I moved back in November, the start of November. I moved back. Um, they flew me back. They moved all my stuff back. And I moved back to Amsterdam. And what... Yeah. So what happens like, is that, that's a, obviously a huge, like a chapter of your life just closed. Right. So yeah. did you, were you like, Oh, I'm going to get back to work or are you taking time off for yourself? Well, I had to anyway, because I had a non-compete. Oh, so I had, a, I had right. a non-compete for eight months from the time I turned down the contract, basically the non-compete began, you know, oh, so from, from there eight months. So from October to July, I physically couldn't work anyway, but you know, I was paid half salary um you know like it gave me time financially i was kind of okay because i saved up a good amount of money while i was in vietnam i was still getting paid half salary so it gave me a bit of um, time to breathe and just think about okay how can i and i knew i had six months to get this then up and running in that sense you know so i knew i had like a a window of time where i was financially a little bit comfortable but it gave me a goal of okay by july 2019 I know what I'm going to do, you know? So I just basically started that period of just like networking and getting back in Europe, getting back in with my, getting back in, in sync with, with like my people there. I had my Asia network all set up. That was all, that was all fine. You know, I knew my people around Asia um, and I just needed to get back in touch with my, with my network in Europe. So I went to Paris fashion week. I went to Milan fashion week. You know, I just started traveling and just hitting up cities. I went back to London for, for a few weeks and just these kind of movements what was even went to new york for two weeks i just started you know just doing this these these movements again that's a what do you think was like the obviously that i think that that came natural and that was maybe even something that was missing from living in asia for you like this this connectivity that's on a on a quick fast track of like mm. hey, I got these people like let's just get back into the flow what was like the hardest part of starting your own business um, 
I mean, just understanding how I would build the important blocks, like how I would get those important blocks in place. Because obviously, like three years in in Vietnam, like I saw the reason why I wanted to start my company was on a personal note to be more fulfilled. But I also saw, you know, this really growing sneaker industry in the fashion industry, right? Um, and a lot of the time they relied on collaborations to create to create footwear with Nikes and Addies, et cetera. Whenever they tried to do footwear by themselves, it missed. A lot of the time it just missed, you know, it just wasn't, it wasn't great. And, um, and a lot of the time as well, like their resources, their technical resources, the knowledge wasn't there. A lot of time they have to use vibrant soles, for example, because it's the only way they know how to, how to create soles, how, how, to, how to use soles. So, you know, and, and I now had all, all, all that knowledge, you know, and I, I did the off-white, I, I worked on the off-white collaboration. So I saw that kind of process and I was like, you know, I can do this myself, but I'm missing a manufacturer. I'm missing a, which is the biggest thing because if you don't have a good manufacturer, nothing can, nothing, nothing's going to work. Nothing's going to happen. So that, that was what I was most, most concerned about also like finding clients who is going to want to work with me and why would they want to work with me well so that was going to be my my next turning point of like you can you can name drop you know let's say five different major brands that you currently work with right and yeah, and yeah. if you yeah. want to name drop them you're more than welcome to but yeah. how did you find those clients like like raf is probably like the biggest one and probably the, your, yeah. your most well-known client yeah yeah but like how did yeah, you yeah. stumble into that or or was it purposeful no, that was a stumble for sure. Stumble again, that, was, <laughs> that was just like, again, like right place, right time. My network, when I moved back, was doing the thing, hitting up the cities, traveling, letting people know I was back and what I was trying to do, what I was trying to build. Just really like speaking my, my, my vision, my dreams out there, you know, just trying to speak them into, into fruition. Um, and it just came through, it came through a friend. So it came through, a friend who introduced me to this guy, Chris, who is the founder of Athletics, who I now am a part of. Um, Which is amazing. People should search Athletics Footwear. Yeah, it's a beautiful, it's, it's a beautiful brand. It's, yeah, it's a young, <laughs> young startup brand and we're, and we're just getting it up and running. You know, we've, we've released a couple of products. Um, and yeah, we, we just want to keep improving the product, improving the brand and growing in a very organic manner. So we have some exciting things coming out um, coming out at the end of this year, midpoint of this year, we have some new colors of the first shoe. And then, yeah, just growing it organically and just really, really trying to grow this brand, to be honest. So that in itself is a, is a challenge, is a, is a new challenge as well, like being a part of a, a, a startup brand, you know? So Athletics Footwear, yeah, this is really fun. So Chris, who founded Athletics Footwear, I met him and he, you know, we had a really good, chat we just clicked instantly in december 2018 and then march to march april 2019 he just rings me out of nowhere and says yo put your name forward to work with raf he wants to start his own footwear line um you know he's just he's on his way out of calvin back into raf simmons he's no longer with adidas he wants to start his own footwear line so yeah and then i had um so i put my name forward and then that at that same moment, I also met my manufacturing partner, an Italian guy, Massimo, based from Hong Kong. Him and him and Raf had made footwear together like 20 years ago. So Raf went to make go back and work with Massimo again. So in that same that, that same time, 
that I met Raf. I also met my manufacturing partner who I work with on all of our projects. Um, and it was just, that's what I mean is bro, it's a crazy, like stumble into like the right, missing place, pieces, right, time. right place, right time. If I'd accepted that pay rise and that six month extension, I would have missed, I would have missed that. And on top of that, I would have started six months later. So I would have started right when the pandemic hit as yeah, well. So like the timing of everything was just like the timing to say no, take that jump. And then when it like what it led to a few months later, I mean, like May, I'm in like Antwerp having a meeting with Raf, like to talk about, talk about what the footwear would look like and how we could work together. And then July, we started, we started working on, on Raf. So, I mean, that's, that's awesome. That's an amazing story. Yeah. Right? Like, but yeah. you have to like put yourself out there in order for these things to happen. That's yeah, the part sure. people don't understand is like you sitting at home all the time and, and working is great. But you also have to put yourself out there. You have to reach out. You have to you have to travel. You have to travel. You have to move. You have to network. And it's not and it's not in like a cliche licking ass kind of no, like no, 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 looking no. up kind of way. You know, it's just like it's just like it's just moving and traveling and like networking and just but doing it in a very like authentic, genuine way. You know, like for me, I really believe in like genuine relationships are the most strongest the most powerful relationships fake relationships with like a hidden agenda and all this, all this stuff i'm really not i'm not in for any of that stuff that's not not me at all like i don't look in i don't look to climb or to or to meet or to network in that way it has to be genuine it has to be like good energy really good energy between people and then then you can do something beautiful together so that, that's what it is for me is just like moving and networking in that way and taking risks. Like when I was younger, I still am now like a huge Muhammad Ali fan, like reading all his books and listening to this guy speak. And he just has amazing words of wisdom, this guy. And one phrase in particular that I really live by is he who is not courageous enough to take risks will accomplish nothing in life. And it's like, for me, it's like you have to take risks. And within that, sometimes you have to put yourself out there and, I'm quite an introverted person. I don't really like being center of attention and all this kind of stuff. You know, I don't, don't really like having pictures taken and this kind of, I'm a little bit awkward at times, but you have to put yourself out there and be genuine and like network and connect and just see what, have, have conversations, voice, voice your dream. Don't be scared to like speak it out because once you start speaking it out in the right way and the right people are listening, it, it can come together, you know? Ah, dude, there's so many parts of this conversation that I just want to clip and put out into the <laughs> world so people can fucking get jazzed up. I'm ready to run through a brick wall, man. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to go right now. Um, you, you talked about in 2017, 18, like you're really trying to be fulfilled and, and find yeah. yourself today, right? We're in 2021. We're coming out of a pandemic. Yeah. Business from from a high level background, my perspective seems to be doing well. Yeah. Are you fulfilled today? Are you, are you stoked to just live every day right now? I'm incredibly fulfilled, man. I'm like incredibly fulfilled. I'm so fulfilled. Like I'm, I'm above, I'm a, I'm up here, man. Like, I'm just like, I mean, this is crazy. Like I'm, I wanted to be involved with more areas of my creativity and I am truly, I'm involved with all these areas. I have like, a, I have a dope team. I'm so like, again, like managed to hire like great people, man. Like 
really like two amazing designers that are two completely different kinds of designers which is you amazing. have you do you have rock star designers by the way they're crazy guys man they're i mean crazy. i should probably interview them too <laughs> yeah at some point you should man because also they're just two very different people Comp they're like chalk and cheese man they're so different <laughs> it's crazy and and and, they won't, and they're two very different designers to the point, and they won't mind me saying this, when I first brought them together, they didn't really click. You know? <laughs> not, not as people, but as creatives, because they just came at it from two completely different backgrounds. Like Sharif originally is a character designer, and, and you know, that's his world. He's just like a, he's on a computer, he's a magician, and he just, I think he looks at shoes as characters, not as, not as, footwear i really think he think he starts his process like he's designing like a new character you know loves anime like this guy is he's incredibly quick he's just a, a g you know like so multi-talented can do so many different things in in the design in the world of design it's like mad it's he just surprises me every day and then nathan just super raw super talented slightly more traditional in his in his upbringing because he studied footwear design, you know, so he does come from that slightly more traditional footwear background than Sharif. So they come at it from two completely different angles, which for me is the best thing because then you have three guys and we are, at times I tell them we can do the work of six to eight people totally. because of, because of our backgrounds and our multi talented, like uh, uh, characters that we have. And then we just hired an office manager, uh, Tessa, she's been one month and already she's been killing it. Like just, yeah, it's just really, I just really enjoy like having, having like a good team. We have an intern starting next month, just having like a really good team of multi-talented, like fluid when no one is stuck, you know? Is, are you, are you scared? Like you, it seems that things are clicking, right? And you don't want to become complacent. You don't want to become comfortable. How do you keep elevating yourself? And is it scary to have things work like this? I mean, it's, like I said, it's just humbleness. Like, honestly, like we're doing, we're doing well. We say we're doing well, but for me, we're just beginning, man, because like, cool, like Raf is out there right now, but how's the South route going to be? You know, how's the product actually going to move? Um, we're starting M MCQ, the, 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 sub the subsidiary brand from Alexander McQueen. We have mm -hmm. our first product dropping, releasing on, actually the campaign starts on Monday, so tomorrow. Oh, okay, um, so by the time this comes out, it'll be out. Yeah, so you'll see the, Alexander the MCQ shoe that, um, that we've done. For them, we, uh, athletics is an ongoing evolution. We're working hard on this brand to, you know, to continue the elevation and growth of this brand. We starting with a cold, started with a cold wool, as you know, and with a cold wool, first product will come out end of this year. We have a fifth brand that I can't mention at the moment. Again, this will come out end of this year. So it's all really exciting stuff, but for me, it's like tranquil, chill, relax, because until this stuff comes out, it could flop. No one could buy it, you know? And then, and then the wheels will fall off. We don't have a second season, we don't have a third season because we don't have contracts with the brands. It's just for as long as we're happy together, this, this, this ship keeps on sailing and um, everyone is happy working that way at the moment. So for me, that's how I stay humble because like, yeah it's cool but honestly we you don't know when it's gonna end yeah we also <laughs> i really don't feel like yes we've achieved yes i have achieved we've achieved 
and it's been an amazing start, but it don't, it don't mean shit at the moment, honestly, because we need, an, we, we need like two, three years in like our product coming out, being bought, flowing, we're doing well, we're growing, we think about this, the sustainable side, we're bringing this communication in. There's so many different elements to it, you know, um, that it's great at this point, the way we began, of course, amazing, but you know, like I need, I need, we're now, we are year two. Let's see where we're at year five, you know, and yeah. then, and then, and then we can start like giving ourselves a big pat on the back, you know, but until, until that point, like just, you got to keep, keep working hard, man. Miles, I can, uh, I can specifically talk to you for, for hours. We've been talking for over an hour at this point. Crazy, so crazy. I, I'm going to ask you two more, yeah. two more questions, right? Yeah. And, then, and then we'll wrap it up because I want to, I want to be respectful of your time as well. Okay. Um, one, the first question is where can people find you um, if they want to follow your journey? How do people reach you? Um, what's the best contact yeah. method? So I have my own IG, which is just Miles, M-Y-L-E-S underscore O-M-E-L-E-Y. And then we have uh, my business IG, which is um, Arete uh, underscore uh, create. I think it's underscore create or Arete I create, so. I forget, but yeah. And then we have, we have a website as well. So if you go www.aretecreate.com, you can find us there as well. Perfect. So those are probably the three the three uh, channels easiest to, do you, to follow. Do you use any other uh, any other methods to try to do outreach or anything like that, or is it really just all you know human connectivity? At the moment, for me, it's it's just human human connectivity. I am I am really someone that just is better person to person. Like yeah. social media for me is a little bit of a it's a little bit of like a not, not a hassle. Not hassle is the wrong word, but it's like. It's I'm very, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not that important to me, to be honest with you. And it's like, it requires a lot of energy to maintain your social media. And for me, I'd rather spend that energy in a more tangible way. No, I, um, I love that. Um, so, yeah. What, uh, so, so, so last question is yeah. if you had one message to leave everybody, you know, one source of inspiration or, you know, a message to, to, to tell people to how to pursue their dreams or anything you want to leave with people, what would that be? You have to just like, I mean, I said it before, man, like you have to really have that inner b b belief in yourself, like that real quiet confidence, like really truly have to have that and don't let anyone like stamp that out or like dwindle that, like maintain that inner confidence, that quiet inner strength and confidence and take a risk man like if you don't make that jump nothing will happen nothing will change the dreams that you want won't come won't come to fruition right you have to take that jump take that leap of faith go for it and speak your dream as you take that jump speak your dreams don't jump quietly jump speak you know and uh yeah and I have faith I man you have to have faith I, I love that, man. Thank you so much for joining us on episode 42 of An Untold Narrative. Miles, this was awesome. I'm, I'm <laughs> gassed up right now. Thanks for having me, man. No, it was, it was, I really enjoy having these conversations and just like speaking about the journey and the passion and like the drive and all these different aspects of it, you know, like it's a, it's, it, it's a wonderful thing, you know, like if you live life with like a true search for fulfillment, you know. If you're still listening, a huge thank you from the bottom of my heart. It means the world to me. 
that you've made it through another episode of an untold narrative if you could just please like subscribe share uh comment anything that every podcast tells you to do it would mean the world to me uh the more we can share these episodes with people the better we can uh be and the more we can inspire others thank you again and peace out